Welcome to the Today is a Good Day podcast, a podcast to bring you a new point of support as you navigate your NICU journey. Today is a Good Day is here to be a part of your conversations, whether your baby was born prematurely, has special needs, or if your family is grieving a loss. The voices you will hear on the Today is a Good Day podcast are personal stories from people who have been there. Please don't forget to hit subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast listening app. In this episode, we are learning about a new social venture working to improve the well-being of parents and their babies. Babyhood Lab was founded and is headed by Dr. Jessica Galton in partnership with her colleagues at Newborn Special Care Associates. Dr. Galton is an attending physician in neonatology and director of perinatal innovation at Abington Hospital Jefferson Health. She is also a Today is a Good Day board member. Her expertise lies at the intersection of medicine, design, and entrepreneurship. She completed her fellowship in neonatology at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Penn Medicine. Dr. Galton received her medical degree from the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a Master of Public Health in Health Policy and Management from the Harvard School of Public Health. Dr. Galton graduated summa cum laude from Cornell University. The Babyhood Lab brings together a multidisciplinary group of clinicians, designers, entrepreneurs, and parents who are already designing products and delivering services to improve the postpartum experience, to foster innovation from within the healthcare system, and create change for families. Personally, I've been asked to serve on the advisory board for the Babyhood Lab, and I'm excited to continue supporting families, especially those navigating the NICU. Welcome, Dr. Galton. Great to see you. Thank you so much. So you have to tell us a little bit about yourself. What made you choose the NICU as your area of focus so many years ago? What's your why? That's an excellent question, Martha. I think the moment that I knew I wanted to be a neonatologist is when I was a resident. I was actually an intern at the Brigham, rotating through the NICU. And I remember seeing the babies in the in the isolates and how fragile and um, incredible the care was there. And actually, really what it was was a mentor of mine who encouraged me to um, go into neonatology. He s- somehow saw something in me and um, just brought me into the care, brought me into the stories of the families. Um, and I just got really inspired through that experience at the Brigham. When you talk about inspiration, what inspired this whole idea around the Babyhood Lab? Yeah, so actually, I'm a mother of two. Um, My daughter, Addie, is five, and my son, William, is three, and they are just the most wonderful kids in the whole world. Um, When I gave birth to Addie afterwards, I really struggled with um, postpartum depression and anxiety, and I actually didn't know that I was struggling at the time with her. Um. I had just moved to Philadelphia. I was starting a neonatology fellowship at CHOP, and um, and um, I cried in the call room every night when I went back to work after having her. Um, I remember pumping um, while I was on call at CHOP and having to run to an emergency and throwing off the pumps and spilling milk oh, and crying. Crying. <laughs> crying. Literally overspilled Literally. milk. Is it that you- Literally overspilled milk. And um, really what it was with her was um, a combination of struggling to breastfeed, going back to work, being a working mom, a trainee, working over 80 hours a week, not feeling I had 
quality time with her and feeling guilt about being at work, guilt about being at home, um, and realizing after that postpartum experience that I really was struggling beyond what I had really thought at that time. So, um, and then with my second child, <laughs> William also struggled. I was mm-hmm. still a fellow. It was 18 months later. And um, and at that point, I sort of knew, because reflecting back on my first experience having Addie, um, I, I knew that I I wanted a different experience. But it took me six months to figure that out. And with him, he wouldn't breastfeed. Really, with him, the the core of what I struggled with was, was breastfeeding. He never latched. He had a tongue tie. We got him his tongue tie snipped. It's called a phrenotomy. And um, that didn't seem to help. And so I was still a fellow at CHOP. I was in my second year, and I was pumping around the clock. And again, it was the same sort of thing. It was like feeling detached from him, feeling like I didn't have quality time with him, struggling to pump at work, um, and feeling just really sad and really anxious. And so um, at that point, after six months of pumping and being a fellow, I I turned towards one of my colleagues and I just opened up to that colleague because with the first the first time around, I really didn't feel comfortable talking to people because I was new there, didn't know people very well. I didn't know where to reach out for help. But the second time around, I said, OK, look, I know I don't want to have the same experience. So I turned to a colleague and she said, let me put you in touch with somebody who is a female physician at CHOP and who um, guides a lot of women, like is, is a great guide for women, um, a mentor. And so I, I talked to her and she said, Jess, you got to let something go. It's either going to be maybe you take a break from fellowship um, from your training program or you got to stop pumping. You're killing yourself over this. And mm-hmm. so I stopped pumping at six months and my world changed. You know, I had more quality time with my son. Um, and, uh, really enjoyed being a mom at that point. And so going through those two postpartum experiences, I realized that I really, really didn't want other women to struggle like I did. I wanted to find ways that I could help other moms. Um, and outside of my clinical responsibilities of being a doctor, I really wanted to focus my energy on that. Um, and I felt like as I was going through those experiences, the healthcare system was not, was broken. I found so many gaps and holes in areas where um, where I really felt like there needed to be more services that are easily accessible to moms. Um, for example, mental health services mm-hmm. in the postpartum mm-hmm. period, breastfeeding support services, yes. um, and so especially for um, moms in our community um, that I serve right now. And how wonderful for you to come out and share your story, which then prompted you to really start the babyhood lab to help give back and help other mothers as a NICU parent, a fellow mom. It is hard. Those are those are big topics that so many of us struggle with, don't necessarily feel comfortable coming out and mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really great that you have been so open about your journey and how that's impacted what you're doing. Now, can you talk to us a little bit about the Babyhood Lab and what the mission mm-hmm. of this will be. Yeah, absolutely. So the Babyhood Lab is an innovation lab that is um, based at Newborn Special Care Associates, um, which is a practice of physicians. Um, I'm one of the physicians. We're all neonatologists at Abington Hospital. 
And so the Innovation Lab um, really uses design thinking, which may be a new topic to some of you listening. Um, so I'll talk a little bit about what that is. But it uses this design thinking. It's a framework for bringing out innovation, new ideas, testing new ideas, implementing new ideas um, into healthcare. And actually, it's used in all sectors and business as well. Um, and it actually comes from business. And so I'm trying to integrate um, design thinking. It's also called human-centered design, if some people have heard of that, um, into our daily practice, into our culture at Abington to improve the parent experience. Why did you and the other team members, the other neonatologists at Newborn Special Care, why do you, why do you think now was the right time mm -hmm. to do this? Mm -hmm. You know what? That's a great question for Dr. Chang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he is the chief of neonatology. He is one of the most wonderful people, mentors. Um, he saw something in me. I actually gave a talk at Penn um, on a project that I had worked on um, to help moms in the postpartum experience while I was a fellow. Um, he was at that talk, and he, I think, saw something and 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 really values thinking differently and um, he's an entrepreneur and innovator himself. So um, I credit him for hiring me. <laughs> and then during the first year um, that I was working at Abington, um, COVID hit. And um, actually, honestly, the, the way that I got through COVID was through brainstorming and uh, developing the Babyhood Lab because it was something I could think about that wasn't COVID related necessarily mm -hmm. and that I could be inspired by because there was so much pain and suffering around me. You were talking about human-centered design, design thinking. What do those terms mean? Yeah. I, I mean, really breaking it down for us mm -hmm. as uh, NICU parents who might be listening to this, what does that mean to yeah. them? Yeah. So I'm going to preface the definition by saying that in healthcare, when we do projects like research projects, quality improvement projects, um, operational, making operational changes or decisions, I found in my experience that oftentimes we forget to ask the patients what they think. Um, and in our field, it's obviously the parents. Um, and so design thinking really centers on um, the human experience, human behaviors, emotions, um, what are patients feeling, thinking, experiencing um, when they go through something in the hospital? And then what are the providers thinking, feeling, hearing, seeing while they're experiencing it? So I'll, I'll give you an example in a minute. Um, and so it really goes back to the human connection, human emotions, human behaviors, and understanding what people experience, and then trying to um, solve the problem from those perspectives. Um, so I can give you an example that might make it a little bit more concrete. <laughs> I feel like that's to some extent what we why we founded today is a good day too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Navigating through the NICU, we saw this gap in care for parents who mm -hmm. were trying to figure out how to navigate the NICU journey, and we wanted mm -hmm. to try and help fill that gap and yeah. help people learn things that we wish we had known yeah. going through the NICU with Claire and Mary. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I'll give you an example that hopefully will make it a little bit more concrete um, in terms of what design thinking is, what human-centered design is. Um, and so just to sort of define it first, um, human-centered design focuses on the patient's needs first 
and their perspectives. And so in the NICU at Abington, um, we have found that a lot of our moms want to breastfeed. However, um, because there's so many things going on with their babies, it sort of ends up not being a priority. And we actually surveyed um, moms in our NICU and um, found that a lot of moms want to breastfeed, but either don't know that they can or that there are certain barriers. And we didn't really know what those barriers were. And in a lot of situations in healthcare, um, providers might say, okay, let's let's assume we know what the patients are experiencing and like try these different things, right? But with design thinking, we're applying this framework, this tool set where we say, okay, no, no, no. Instead of just thinking we know what they're going through, we're going to actually interview them. We're not going to have them fill out questionnaires. We're actually going to sit down and talk to them. And so we um, recruited a designer, um, Jessica Martin. She is very experienced in interviewing postpartum moms, parents, um, and other patients. And she has a specific skill set that um, she trained in design thinking. And so she is going to be interviewing moms and understanding their experience with breastfeeding in the NICU what the barriers were, um, and really understanding from their perspective and not assuming anything. That mm-hmm. she, and she's not medical, so she's not in the medical field. And so, um, and through those interviews, we really want to draw out the patient's stories, the mom's stories. What did they, what What was it like to be in the NICU in a chair that may, may not be very comfortable trying to breastfeed your baby with very little privacy? What is it? What was that like? Or I have to say being scared to do it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I remember from 10 years ago, mm-hmm. I pumped because I, I, I was told you need to pump. This is the best thing that you can do to help Claire and, mm-hmm. and Mary. And I did. Mm-hmm. I wasn't very successful at it. But even when we got to the point of possibly breastfeeding Claire, mm-hmm. I didn't want her to have to learn something new. Right, <laughs> right. Said if she's working on the bottle. Right. I don't want her to have to try another new test because we were so focused on just trying to help her to get stronger and right. figure out how to use use her body and and feed yeah. and breathe, suck, swallow, all the different things right. that I didn't want to add one more element to it. Right. What are when I think back on that time and in the conversation we're having right now, what are some of those questions that parents like me who thought oh, I don't want to have her try something new, or mm-hmm. parents who say, I don't even know what to ask the mm-hmm. neonatologist, or I'd like mm-hmm. to breastfeed, but I don't know when I'm supposed to ask to mm-hmm. do that. W- mm-hmm. What do you recommend that they ask their mm-hmm. medical team and the nurses who are caring for their babies? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And um, I think at the beginning of the NICU stay, so no parent is really, most parents aren't don't know before their baby's admitted that the baby's going to be admitted to the NICU. Some some parents do because you have a scheduled C-section at mm-hmm. a certain uh, on a certain date and you know your pre- your infant is going to be Or if you're premature. on bed rest and you know that right, right. baby has high likelihood of coming early, that type of situation. Exactly. However, a lot of moms don't know. And so I think um, they're thrown into the situation where they're just like, and they don't have any experience with the NICU. So they just don't know what to expect. And so I think at the very beginning of the NICU stay, just asking the team saying, do you think it's a reasonable um, expectation to be able to breastfeed my baby? And how can I get there? And then expressing their desire, their feeding desire. Because like w- one mom might not n- might know that she definitely doesn't want to breastfeed, doesn't want to pump. Another mom might say, 
well, I was expecting to have a full-term baby, but my baby came two months early. And originally my goal was to breastfeed. And I would still like to do that. But how do I get there? I just don't know. And so both expressing your wish at the beginning, if you know it, and you might not, and that's okay. Um, and also um, asking the team whether it's an, a reasonable goal to achieve while the baby's in the NICU. Um, and I think there are a lot of things that we can do to set the mom up for success um, going home and mm -hmm. breastfeeding their baby. Okay. When you look at Babyhood Lab and some of the projects that you're working on, can you fill us in on, on some that are coming up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one, aside from the breastfeeding project, which we are in the midst of these um, interviews, um, and just to sort of flesh out that that project, um, after we interview our moms and identify where the major barriers are or the major gaps are, we're going to be developing um, prototypes for interventions and testing them. And so one of the things that design thinking is really good um, about is, is um, prototyping and testing in rapid cycles. And so a lot of people in healthcare aren't used to doing that. So a lot of people in healthcare are researchers and do big clinical trials, right, with lots of people and um, takes a really long time. One thing about design thinking is that it really focuses on rapid testing. And so we're talking 5, 20, 50 patients um, testing an intervention. So let's say we find out that moms are saying, I don't like breastfeeding in the NICU because it's not private enough. Maybe we find a way to have a more private experience for them while they're in the NICU, a more comfortable experience. We test that in a two-week time frame and see if that works. Does that get, we, we gather feedback from the moms, figure out whether um, that helps them achieve their goals. And then we continue to make whatever intervention it is that we come up with better over time. That's great. And then once we figure out what we think really works for our patients, then that's where you can test it in a quality improvement um, study or research study. And so this design thinking framework is really great at sort of the beginning steps and understanding um, where the patients are in terms of their experience. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one project, and we're, we're at the beginning of that project. Um, another project at the Babyhood Lab that we're working on that's a little bit more mature is um, called Steam and Spin. And actually, Martha, you are involved in this project. Yes. Yes. <laughs> a lot of um, Today is a Good Day parents were interviewed um, for this project. So the motivation behind this project um, came from, actually, it was Dr. Chang's idea. Uh, actually, it was, doc it was a combination of Dr. Chang, Michelle Walker, who's our nurse manager, um, Dr. Ziegler, who's our medical director, and a, and a number of nurses in the NICU, and um, as well as Emily Hiriak, who's our dietitian. So a lot of people came together um, and noticed that the way that moms are um, sterilizing their breast pump equipment in the NICU is not ideal. <laughs> and I'll describe... I, I remember that. <laughs> it, was, it was not ideal. <laughs> what did you do, Martha? Well, if I think back, mm -hmm. I think that I took enough supplies with me to pump while I was there mm -hmm. and then took everything home mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. clean it mm -hmm. and then would bring it back. Mm -hmm. If I am... Yeah. Now, it's been a while, uh -huh. but if I recall, I believe that's what I did. And I would just you... do a quick rinse in the sink and then take everything take home everything. with me. And what did you do... Um, at home, how did you clean your pump steamer supplies? bags? Okay. Usually in the microwave okay. is okay. what I use quite a bit. Got it. Yeah, and that's typically what our moms do. And I always worried about those plastic bags, like 
do they leach chemicals into the right. into my pump equipment? I don't know. There's no research out there on that. Um, and are there bacteria being trapped in the water? And like, is this really clean? I don't know. And so for preemies, as this audience knows, it's really important that it's very well sterilized, right? Because like a bacterial infection in a, yes. in a NICU could be devastating for our babies. And that it does happen, unfortunately. And the way that moms are sterilizing their pump equipment is um, puts puts the pump equipment at risk of trapping bacteria in there. And um, we obviously want to prevent any um, bacterial outbreaks in our NICU. Um, and so, and moms are pumping about 96 to 98 percent of our moms pump and for their babies in the NICU and they're pumping all day long so every two to three hours two to three to four hours they are pumping at home or in the NICU you know how long it takes <laughs> it's a, long every, time. a lot of time it's like probably what an hour to it's, really like complete a pump session it's a long time including everything right putting it putting the pump equipment on mm-hmm. pumping Washing, sterilizing. And, and if you, depending if you pump by the bedside or mm-hmm. if you go into a room to pump, it can mm-hmm. be kind of isolating just sitting mm-hmm. by yourself in the one room. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I I oftentimes say that's part of the reason we created the Today is a Good Day podcast. It was a great mm-hmm. opportunity for families or moms when they're pumping to listen and have mm-hmm. something to do because I remember not having much to do during that period yeah. of time yeah. when you step away. You're literally spending all day and lot of the night doing this as Mm -hmm. a mom and you're separated from your baby and I can't even I mean I struggled having full-term babies doing this and being a working mom I just can't even imagine being a mom and not even being able to see your baby luckily at Abington you can see your baby on the camera every every baby has a camera at the bedside Mm -hmm. but so 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 yeah they're spending so much time doing this and then what they're doing typically in the NICU is they're using these bags you pour water in them put your pump equipment in them, put them in the microwave. And then a lot of moms are putting the pump equipment either in a bag, um, to dr- like a, a bag to dry with maybe with mesh or something or out on a, um, on a surface to dry or on some, in something else to dry. Um, there are a lot of different ways that moms are doing this. And so on average, it takes about three hours for their pump equipment to dry. So you probably have multiple sets of pump equipment mm-hmm. and then it's not, and then it's at risk of trapping bacteria, you know, other germs in there, and because a lot of the time they're sitting in wet. Well, um, probably in most in a cleaning, wet environment, right, right, right. So what we did was we interviewed a lot of moms and dads, um, including Martha, <laughs> <laughs> to understand your experience and what it was like and where the frustrations are. And we interviewed probably about 100 people. So we not only interviewed parents, but also staff. We interviewed the people who actually clean the pumps in the NICU. Oh, wow. um, we interviewed everyone across the board who's involved in this in the NICU. And um, designed a device through this design thinking process, um, designed a a new device that's specific to the NICU, designed by our NICU moms um, and for the NICU. And so um, I wish I could show you a picture. It's very hard to visualize, but imagine um, sort of a salad spinner, right? So basically steam and spin. Um, You put your pumping equipment into a basket and every mom has their own basket and lid. And then there's one base that, and there will be a couple of bases in the NICU to share. 
And then the base is, a, is basically like an electrical motor, motor that um, plugs into the electrical socket. Um, then every mom brings over their basket and their lid. You put your pump equipment in the basket, um, put the lid on, and then the water, and pour in some water. And the water steams the pump equipment, sterilizes it in less than a minute, and then spins and dries it. And oh, so, wow. and then you just literally take your basket with the lid and you just, it's dry, it's sterilized. It's and ready you, to go. It's ready to go. Yep. So it, we're expecting that it'll decrease um, the time that moms have to pump by significantly and hoping that this will be a really great solution for moms in the NICU, but also at home too, mm-hmm. to be able to sterilize their pump equipment faster and more effectively. And when I hear you talking about, well, I was interviewed for this project. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of our Today is a Good Day volunteers were interviewed for mm-hmm. this project, local families. I'm sure there are families out there listening to this now saying, oh, I have feedback on this, mm-hmm. or I have feedback on what this experience mm-hmm. was like. Mm-hmm. How do they get involved in this process? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question. I would love for anyone listening who's <laughs> excited about this to reach out to me um, to give us feedback because right now we have a prototype. Um, we're going to be testing it and putting it into the hands of parents, um, moms in the NICU who will be using it and getting feedback to make the prototype, the device better and more um, easy to use. And so, yeah, absolutely. If anyone is listening and wants to um, get their hands on this prototype, use it, um, give us feedback, please reach out. Um, and I just have to say that this project was um, co-developed by the Health Design Lab, which is an, another innovation lab um, downtown in Philadelphia through Jefferson. Um, and the founder of that lab is Dr. Bon Koo, who is um, a designer and an inspiring really icon in <laughs> in design. So uh, we were so lucky to be able to work with them. And um, that's actually how we um, uh, were able to work with a student a student group. Um, there were three medical students and three and two engineering students who were on the team. Well, and you can take a look at the prototype mm-hmm. at babyhoodlab.com, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 So you can go visit and Take a look at that. And I think hearing from listeners, too, it's a great way to start projects to be mm-hmm. reviewed mm-hmm. and say, hey, this was a concern I had when I was in the NICU, or this is something that I have feedback on that I went through, um, just how this started with the breastfeeding, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. looking at postpartum depression is one of the other mm-hmm. topics we're yeah. going to be covering. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Sure, sure. So I'd mentioned my own experience, and and I did not realize I was struggling to the extent that I was when I was going through it. And I believe that having worked with a lot of moms now um, as a physician, um, I do believe that some moms like me don't necessarily know that they're struggling. And um, maybe maybe that's not the case for everybody. Um, but I believe that we need to be more proactive in um, in 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 supporting moms and um, determining if they are struggling because so much of the focus is on the baby after you have a baby that a lot of women forget to take care of themselves, right? I'm gu- yes. I'm guilty of that. Yes. Um, and so what we're going to be doing is starting a project um, to, to better screen for postpartum depression and mood disorders at Abington and also treat postpartum mood disorders at Abington. And so um, what we would like to do, and this is a very early stage project, um, we have a lot of people involved um, on the OB side, 
on the peds and NICU side at Abington um, leadership at the hospital. And what we're, we would like to do is to be able to text moms um, uh, the postpartum depression screening questionnaire. Um, we'll probably use a couple of the questions, text it to them, and act proactively screen moms earlier than they normally would be mm-hmm. screened. So right now they're they're being screened while they're in the hospital and then at six weeks. And as you, as I'm sure you've experienced too, Martha, six weeks is a long time. Mm-hmm. By the time six weeks happened um, for both of my babies, all of the problems that I had had already happened and I'd already like pretty much figured out what I was going to do <laughs> at that six-week mark. So, and 40, only 40% of women in our country show up to that six-week postpartum visit mm-hmm. with their OB. So there is a big movement um, in this area to screen earlier. And so we're hoping to do that by text for all of our moms. And then the, flag the moms that are really struggling and plug them into support with a therapist who specifically focuses in the postpartum mental health space and um, be able to do that through telehealth right now because because telehealth really truly is the future um, mm-hmm. given everything that's happened with COVID. Well, and as you were talking about having full-term babies and experiencing mm-hmm. the postpartum struggles, add the layer of the NICU, of going to the NICU every day. You talk about the self-care. So many moms uh, spend tw- how many hours a day in mm-hmm. the NICU, right? Mm-hmm. Without going to eat, without mm-hmm. going home to shower and rest and heal mm-hmm. from giving birth. And so that is, uh, is such a great concept to reach out earlier and to try and see those red flags earlier mm-hmm. in the process to give the help mm-hmm. that's needed. Yeah. I don't think that we should wait for the moms to reach out to us. I really think that we have to reach out to them mm-hmm. and proactively support them in this particular situation. Dr. Galton, I'm so excited to be a part of this group <laughs> and for all that we are going to accomplish moving forward. Now, you've worked with a lot of NICU families in many different ways over the years. What's the biggest lesson you've learned from a NICU family? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's a hard question, Martha. I know. <laughs> I've learned so many lessons. And it can be pieces Mm of, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. things that you've Mm -hmm. just learned over the years from different families that have come across your path. You know, thinking about this, I think the lesson that I've learned is that it's okay to be vulnerable as a doctor. So when I was struggling in the postpartum period, I felt like I have to be strong. I'm a doctor. I'm a neonatologist. I shouldn't show any weakness. Like, I can't talk to any of my colleagues about what I'm going through. I kept it all in, and that actually did not help. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so now I'm talking more openly about my struggles because I think it's okay for doctors to be vulnerable. And so there is one particular family in the NICU I remember um, was going through such a rough time. Baby was going to die, um, was dying while I was talking with them. Um, And... At first, my approach was a little bit like, I can't get emotionally involved because otherwise I'm going to cry. <laughs> and they don't want to see me cry. You know, I'm supposed to be strong for them. But then what I realized as I was talking to them, it was it was, it was was okay to show them that I was sad. And so I actually did cry with them. And that was the appropriate response at the time. And so I did show vulner- vulnerability. And I feel like sometimes I do need to do that. And I need to you know, step out of that, uh, 
I'm a doctor shell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, vulnerability, I think, is the main lesson I've learned over the last two years at Abington. I'm, I'm smiling here under my mask <laughs> because, uh, as you know, we became very close with the entire team of neonatologists mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. took care of our daughters. And those moments where they were vulnerable and really sat with us in mm-hmm. what we were going through when Mary passed away and with Claire fighting as as hard as she did mm-hmm. meant the world to us. Mm-hmm. And I think it made our relationship stronger to this day mm-hmm. so many years later mm-hmm. that uh, we've stayed in touch with mm-hmm. them. And that's actually the thing that I love most about working at Abington is that I get to get I get to know the families so well, um, you know, and. I get to follow them in clinic afterwards. And a lot of them reach out to me afterwards on a personal level. And that connection, I always thought like I needed to distance myself, you know, Um, but I actually love that connection. That's what makes the job so fulfilling. So I just asked what impact a NICU family has made on you and what are lessons that you've learned from them. Let's flip that and say, what is your biggest piece of advice that you give to NICU families when they're getting ready to graduate from the mm-hmm. NICU? And I'll even add on, I mean, this is a really difficult time with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that your approach with families has mm-hmm. changed a little bit mm-hmm. in the advice you're giving them as they're getting ready to walk out that door, mm-hmm. but would love to hear some advice that you give to families. You are really good at the hard questions today, Martha. (laughs) (laughs) We trust in what you say. (laughs) Um, I also think it's really important, not to sound like a broken record, but I do think it's really important for families also to be vulnerable with us and to tell us what they're going through. Because a lot of the time, I feel like patients tell me what they think I want to hear. And... um, not always, definitely not always, but sometimes I have a hard time drawing out what their experience is. And it is so hard to talk to your doctor in the hospital when there's so much going on. But if you feel comfortable talking to anyone on the team, it doesn't have to be the doctor, it can be anyone. If you're really struggling, please let us know because we want to help. And um, and truly, we are there for you. And so I think it goes both ways. Like I have to be vulnerable as a provider and I I would like my families to be vulnerable with me too. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. Learning more about all the exciting projects and opportunities to get involved and to give feedback and be a part of this project with the human-centered design. It's so important. It's wonderful what you're doing. Thank you, Martha.